Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. Good to have you joining us if you're watching live this Saturday morning, uh, or for those of you who are making pizzas and watching later in the day, uh, God be with you all. Of course, those of you who watch later in the day anyway on replay and uh, watch or listen on the podcast, welcome to you as well. Today, what we do is what we uh, usually do on Saturdays during the school year is we look at the uh, Old Testament and epistle readings for tomorrow, for Sunday, in order to better be prepared to hear God's word and preaching uh, from those. Tomorrow, of course, is a packed Sunday, being Palm Sunday, um, Palmarum in Latin, begins with the Palm Procession. Um, the practice in TLH, Lutheran hymnal, uh, was kind of an anachronism where you would have the palm reading be the gospel reading for the day. Um, the more historic practice, you know, 12, 1500 years of tradition behind this, including 400 years of Lutheranism, um, is that you would hear the palm reading at the beginning of the service. You would process with your palms, the children would sing, all glory, lawn, and honor. Um, and then the old uh, the gospel reading for the day is actually the Passion according to St. Matthew. Uh, we do a unique version here. Um, there are many settings of the Passion that can be sung, so that uh, different, uh, and you could have multiple, you know, two singers, or you could have multiple singers, and the congregation joins in and singing hymns and other parts of it. Um, we do a spoken version, which mimics that, where um, I read the parts of Jesus, an elder will read the... Um, the narrator portions, and then the congregation reads the parts of all the people, uh, the rest of the people. Like, uh, uh, and and I think it's it's particularly evocative. It does teach us um, that we ought to identify not with one character, but really with 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 all of them. Whether it's those who cry out Hosanna, those who um, who cry out crucify him, those who asked for Barabbas and not and not Jesus. Um, Pontius Pilate saying, I find no guilt in this man, you know, uh, that our voice be all of their voices. So we'll do that tomorrow. But we do hear the Old Testament and epistles, so we'll look at those today. We begin, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Memory verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, verse 18. Our psalm, Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, 
my salvation and my God. All right, our first reading to consider today is from is our epistle for tomorrow, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. So a lovely confession uh, from Paul of the uh, passion of Jesus, right? His suffering and death, um, but especially of his humiliation. Even uses that word, he humbled himself. Humiliation became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So there's no, there's nothing to which Jesus will not stoop down to do to heal, right? No, there's nothing too low for him even to lose his reputation, to become a servant, to die, even the, the most ignoble death, death of a cross, that which belongs only to the worst of the criminals, right? And it's for that reason that God has exalted, so humiliation, exaltation, exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Why? Because he suffered and died for them. Of those in heaven, right, those who have died, those on the earth, those who live, and of those under the earth, those who rest in the ground, right? That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, which is actually true in the resurrection. Every tongue will confess him to be Lord, but not everyone will confess him to be his, their Savior, their Messiah, the one who died to save them, which is kind of interesting. All right, um, this is used quite effectively um, in Article 3 of the Formula of Concord, one of our Lutheran confessions, and talking about uh, regeneration, all right? Um, here's what it says about regeneration, or the righteousness of faith before God, all right? The word regeneration is sometimes used for the word justification. Therefore, it is necessary that the word be properly explained in order that the renewal that follows justification by faith may not be confused with the actual justification by faith, but that they may be properly distinguished from each other, right? So we have to distinguish between being regenerate, and being justified. They're not the same thing, right? Uh, this is always important. This is what Lutherans do. Um, I mean, all Christians ought to do this, not all do, is to be careful about terminology and not to confuse terms or conflate terms. But uh, we follow what's called the historic grammatical method. So we look at words used in their um, historic meaning, right? And that's how we understand them. We don't import new meanings into words. We don't change the meaning of words, right? We look at how were they used at the time um, of St. Paul, right? What's the, what's the domain? What are the possible meanings? And then we limit ourselves to those. All right. Um, in the first place, the word regeneration, regeneratio, is used to mean both the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake alone, and at the same time, the succeeding renewal that the Holy Spirit works in those who are justified by faith, right? So both Forgiveness of sins in Christ regenerates us, and also the renewal of the Holy Spirit who works in us who are justified by faith is also called regeneration. Then again, it's sometimes used to mean only the forgiveness of sins and that we are adopted as God's sons. 
It is in this latter sense that the word is used much of the time in the Apology, the confession from um, Philip Melanchthon, where it is written that justification before God is regeneration. St. Paul, too, has used these words as distinct from each other. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, verse 5. The words making alive have sometimes been used in a similar sense. For when a person is justified through faith, which the Holy Spirit alone does, this is truly a regeneration, a new genesis, right? In this, he becomes a child of God instead of a child of wrath. So he is transferred from death to life, as it is written, when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Likewise, the righteous shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. This is how the word is usually used in the apology, all right? But there's confusion now. Since the apology was written in uh, 1530, or no, apology was 1534, maybe, 1533. Um, since that time, now this is 1576, <laughs> um, there's been some controversy about this term. All right, so that's what we're dealing with here. Again, it is often used for sanctification and renewal, which follows the righteousness of faith. Dr. Luther has used it this way in his book uh, about the churches and the councils and elsewhere. We teach, now here's the key, we teach that through the Holy Spirit's work, we are born anew, new birth, and justified. But the sense is not that after regeneration, no unrighteousness clings anymore to the justified and the regenerate in their being and life. It means that Christ covers all their sins, which in this life still dwell in, in nature, in the flesh, right? With his complete obedience. He covers all their sins with his complete obedience. But despite this, they are declared and regarded godly and righteous by faith and for the sake of Christ's obedience, which Christ rendered to the Father for us from his birth to his most humiliating death on the cross. Think our reading. Still, because of their corrupt nature, they are still are and will remain sinners to the grave. Nor, on the other hand, is this the meaning. Without repentance, conversion, and renewal, we can or should yield to sins and remain and continue in them. True contrition must come first, out of pure grace for the sake of the only mediator, Christ. Without any works or merit, people are righteous before God in the way stated above, that is, they are received into grace. The Holy Spirit is also given to them. He renews and sanctifies them and works in them love for God and for their neighbor. But the beginning of renewal is imperfect in this life. It's still Sin still dwells in the flesh, even in the regenerate. It's very key. Therefore, the righteousness of faith before God comes from the free crediting of Christ's righteousness without any addition of our works. So our sins are forgiven us and covered and are not charged against us. Romans 4, verses 6 through 8. All right. If the article of justification is to remain pure, the greatest attention must be given with special diligence. Otherwise, what comes before faith and what follows after it will be mixed together or inserted into this article of justification as necessary and belonging to it. For it is not one and the same thing to talk about conversion and to talk about justification. All right? Not everything that belongs to conversion also belongs to the article of justification. All right, there's much more we can read there. It's really beautiful and it's worthy of some in-depth study. Um, so, uh, how does this pertain to tomorrow, of course? Uh, we need to hear of our Lord's suffering and death um, regularly, frequently. We preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and um, a rock of offense uh, or foolishness to the Gentiles. Why? Not because we are not regenerate, not because we haven't received the Holy Spirit, 
but because the flesh still stings, uh, clings to us. And we need to be converted again, return to our baptism, if you like, right? Um, so you can never have too much of a good thing. And namely, the good thing here is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, right? So hence we have, we hear of his humiliation again, and we will all throughout this coming week. All right, our Old Testament reading for tomorrow is from Zechariah 9. I can't help but hear uh, Handel's Messiah, which was written for Easter. Actually, it's an Easter oratorio, not a Christmas hymn, a Christmas oratorio. Most people sing it at Christmas time. It belongs with Easter, um, although it has Christmas too. And rejoice, 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 oh greatly. Okay, I got it in my head now. Uh, <laughs> Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. All right? Um, we're going to look particularly here at verse 10. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. Right? Dominion shall be from sea to sea and river to the ends of the earth. Uh, of course, you you know this is fulfilled in Christ riding into the holy city, uh, mounted on a donkey, of course. Um, but you might also think um, of uh, just namely the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? This is always an important question because um, he who knows Jesus knows the Father, and you can only know Jesus by way of the Spirit. So um, there is now the eighth article of the Formula of Concord, which is a lovely article as well, which has to do um, with the person of Christ, of his, what we call two natures, that he's true God and true man, right? And how these things relate. And you might think it's a complicated argument and whatnot, but it's actually, um, what's well, both quite helpful and, in addition to being quite important. Um, so let's talk about his human nature here. This is, again, Article 8, uh, beginning in paragraph, excuse me, 25 towards the end. The human nature alone would not have been able to do these miracles, like the wedding at Cana, um, uh, etc. He would not have been able to do these miracles if it had not been personally united and had communion with the divine nature, right? So God made man, Christ, the Christ, the, the man, Jesus, can do things that only God can do. And vice versa, now God has a human nature, right? God dies, God eats, God drinks, God um, he, he, he sleeps, right, in Jesus, right? So there's different communication here of attributes, things that belong to one or the other, God or man. The human nature, after the resurrection from the dead, is exalted above all creatures in heaven and on earth. This is nothing other than that he entirely laid aside the form of a servant, Philippians 2. He did not lay aside his human nature, but retains it into eternity, right? So Jesus remains man. He has the full possession and use of the divine majesty according to his received human nature. However, he had this majesty immediately at his conception, even in his mother's womb. He was true God, even from his mother's womb. As the apostle testifies, he laid it aside. As Dr. Luther explains, he kept it concealed in the state of his humiliation and did not always use it, but only when he wanted to use it, right? So he was born like us, even though he could have easily just passed through um, the uterine wall and was born 
in, in an unnatural way, right? He set aside his full divinity for the sake of his humanity. Now, all right, he ascended in, uh, has ascended to heaven, not merely as any other saint, but as the apostle testifies above all heavens. He also truly fills all things, being present everywhere, not only as God, but also as man. He rules from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth, Zechariah 10, as the prophets predict and the apostles testify. He did this everywhere with them and confirmed their word with signs. This did not happen in an earthly way, as Dr. Luther explains. This happened according to the way that things, way things are done at God's right hand. God's right hand is no set place in heavens, as the sacramentarians assert, without any ground in the scriptures. God's right hand is nothing other than God's almighty power, which fills heaven and earth. Christ is installed according to his humanity and deed and truth without confusing or equalizing the two natures in their essence or essential properties. These are all sorts of philosophical terms. By this communicated divine power, according to the words of his testament, he can be and is truly present with his body and blood in the Holy Supper. Right? So again, this is all essential driving us towards how can Jesus be for us and with us now um, by word and sacrament. It's because of the communication of the attributes. Divinity communicates its uh, abilities. Its what? What did? He, what words did they use? Communicates its essence and essential properties to the humanity of Jesus. So now, for example, um, Jesus never dies. He is eternal, Alpha and Omega. Always was. Um, but his body and blood can be received at many altars simultaneously throughout the world, right? Without being consumed completely. It's divinity applied to humanity. Um, he has pointed this out for us by his word. This is possible for no other man because no man is united with the divine nature the way Jesus, the son of Mary, is. No man is installed in such divine almighty majesty and power through and in the personal union of the two natures in Christ. For in him, the divine and human nature is personally united with each other. So in Christ, quote, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, end quote, Colossians 2. In this personal union, the two natures have such a grand intimate, indescribable communion that even the angels are astonished by it, as St. Peter testifies. They have their delight and joy in looking into it. All of this will soon be explained in order and somewhat more fully, <laughs> but I'm going to spare you. All right. So, um, it, you know, when they mock Jesus, you'll hear this tomorrow, when he's on the cross, you know, save yourself. The point is, is that Jesus can, but he doesn't, right? Yes, could he command the angels to come and fight against those who are seeking his hurt and harm? Yes, he can, but he doesn't, right? So he sets aside in humility, right, who he is as true as the Son of God for the sake of dying for the sins of the world, right? And then thereby, the Father raises him from the dead. God, the Father, has ex highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, right? For the sake of his humility, um, some of this is mysterious, but some of this is also um, helpful and uh, has been hashed out through history for the sake of being faithful to God's word. We come up with these um, communication of attributes, for example, as a term, a dogmatic term, um, to help guard us from false belief, uh, misunderstanding what God's word says. Right? Uh, and of course, he speaks peace to the nations. His dominion is from sea to sea. Jesus reigns over the earth by his word and sacrament, right? Not by any kind of earthly rule, a, a typical rule, right? So his kingdom is not of this world. Good. All right, our catechism, we confess, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. 21. 
It is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Romans 13, verses 5 through 7. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Titus 3, verse 1. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 14. We pray. Merciful Father, grant us faith to pray for the civil authorities and to trust that you will accomplish your good and gracious will through them. Teach us to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness and to be ready to do whatever is good in service to others in our community and nation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, by your great goodness, mercifully look upon your people, that we may be governed and preserved evermore in body and soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. All right, we pray today with Scott, who celebrates his baptism, as well as Carson John, who was baptized last Sunday. We pray for our households, especially Tim and Amber, Dan and Liz, Dwayne and Pam, Tom and Sandy, and David. Pray for those ill, receiving treatment, or recovering, especially Marcella, Bev, Kelsey, Amanda, Dan, Brad, Timothy, and Merlin, Jim and Mike, our homebound Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, and Paul, uh, the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Mary's room. We pray in intercession for those who are afflicted and suffering. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray our, um, we pray the Lord's Prayer, I should say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn one more time. Every hour that I have feeling 
pains of body and of mind, should some evil fought within, and my treacherous heart to sin. Show the peril, and from sinning, keep me from its first beginning. Should some hostile, sharp temptation fascinate my sinful mind, draw me to your cross and passion, and to courage I shall find. Or should Satan press me hard, let me then be on my guard. Saying Christ for me was wounded, the thought enter How about I uh, share a little bit about the hymn? Uh, you might want to know more about that hymn, which is, oh, I lost my number, 421. All right, I can just bring it back up to the top. Jesus Grant That Balm and Healing. This is from uh, that new resource from last year. Really excellent companion to the hymns. Um, this is from uh, Dr. Rick, Rick Stuckwish. This hymn by Johann Hiermann was first published in six stanzas in the new edition of his Devoshi Musicalis, or Musica Cordis, that is devotional music of the heart, right? Under the heading, Consolation from the Wounds of Jesus in All Manner of Temptations. Hermann, or Hermann, I should say, acknowledged the inspiration and influence of the Manual of St. Augustine, chapter 22. This manual, though it is not by Augustine, but rather a medieval compilation of writings by various church fathers, and the chapter in question is of uncertain authorship. Here is an English translation from 1655 of this brief chapter. Right, So this is what he is uh, meditating upon to write the hymn. Again, we don't know who wrote this. When I am solicited by any impure thought, I make my recourse unto the wounds of Christ. When my body oppresseth me, I recover strength by calling the wounds of my Lord to mind. When the devil is lying or laying some ambush whereby to take me, I fly unto the bowels of my Lord's mercy, and so the devil departeth from me. If the ardor of lust make any alteration in my body, it is quenched by the memory of the wounds of our Lord, the Son of God. In all the adversities which I have been subject to, I have never found so effectual a remedy as in the wounds of Christ. In them do I sleep secure, in them do I repose void of fear, 
Christ died for us. There is nothing so deadly bitter which may not be cured by the death of Christ. All the hope I have is in the death of my Lord. His death is my merit, my refuge, my saving health, my life, and my resurrection. My merit is his great mercy. I shall never be void of merit as long as he who is the Lord of mercy shall not be wanting to me. And such my merits go after the rate, rates of his mercies. Look how much more mightily he is towards the saving of me, so much more may I be secure. The focus of Hermann's hymn, A Lutheran Treasure, is resistance to temptation with the comfort of the gospel given to Christians in the midst of temptations of all sorts. To that end, the first three stanzas would serve well as a form of daily prayer, especially in on the part of young men and women. All right. Uh, it was kind of hard to read. <laughs> I can't show it to you, but um, it's, well, English from 1655. So um, things are spelled different. Devil is spelled D-I-V-E-L-L, D-I-V-E-L-L, right? Um, void is V-O-Y-D. Um, look has an E at the end. <laughs> Mercies is spelled M-E-R-C-Y-E-S. So it's kind of that old English. Fly is with an E at the end. Some of this would make more sense for me. Uh, there was some word in there. Sun is with S-O-N-N-E, right? Uh, but anyway, isn't that beautiful? Um, just the idea of uh, of looking to the, the wounds of Jesus um, for hope and consolation in times of need, right? Because all our hope is in the death of Jesus. Right? We can hope in no other but that Jesus died for me. Isn't that beautiful? It's really beautiful. Um, and And actually, anything that would take away our hope whether it be our, our temptation, our sin, the devil himself, um, the world with its entices, anything that we, grieves us, that causes us uh, difficulty, all of that flees um, when faced up to Jesus, even death itself, who's been crushed in the death in, in the dust. Lovely, lovely, lovely. He's got a great meditation on it too, um, but I'll spare you that. All right. So, Lord's blessings on your day. It's good to have you with us here this Saturday. Um, join us tomorrow, 9.30. Um, try to get there a few minutes early, especially if you have children, because uh, the children will be processing, singing all glory, laud, and honor. The school children will help in the singing of that and the processing. Um, so you'll need your palms and um, their special bulletin. If you uh, have difficulty reading the screens, I'll have printed the Passion reading, um, but it, I, I, we didn't print enough for everybody because it's a lot of paper. So... Um, so that'll be available to you as well. But make plans to join us for Palm Sunday. And of course, um, each morning during Holy Week, we'll have uh, this, our congregation prayer, will meet at 9 a.m. in person in the sanctuary with the school children. So you can join us for that. Um, also, and it will be streaming, of course. Um, Thursday, divine service at 7 p.m. Uh, Friday, no morning prayer, but we will have um, the chief service at 1 o'clock and then um, Vespers at 7 and then, of course, Holy Saturday, we have morning prayer at 9, and then um, Easter egg hunt, and what am I forgetting? Then at, oh, and then at um, 6 p.m. Is the, is the Easter vigil. So if you didn't get a chance to join us for the vigil last year, uh, it's really a lovely service, and it uh, has many elements that I really bring, it brings Easter together, really, Holy Week and Easter all together into one service. Uh, so join us for that, the, the great vigil of Easter on Saturday. All right. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you tomorrow. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center, in Random Lake, Wisconsin. 
If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.